Hello and welcome to Sick Burns on 80s Music. In this podcast, we'll take a close critical look at song lyrics of the late 20th century's best-known decade, the 80s, with two members of its most forgotten generation, Generation X. We're your hosts, Margaret and Elizabeth. I'm Margaret. I'm spending my career so far writing corporate memos and press releases and singing 80 songs in the car and shower. I'm Elizabeth. I'm spending my career so far reading and writing academic prose and teaching college students English and singing 80 songs in the car and shower. In this podcast, we're going to break down the lyrics to your favorite 80 songs, consider whether they hold up in a 21st century context, and deliver some choice critique, a.k.a. sick burns. Oh my God, can I just tell you, we, somebody, there's... So Buffalo, I don't know if Columbus is, I don't remember this, but I feel like Buffalo is full of people with hobby businesses, like, like they make candy apples and call it candy apples? apples. Is that a true thing? Candy apples? Yeah, but that's like, this is not just a made up example. You know, a store that sells candy apples? A woman, yes. And it's called huh. Aaron's Apples. I will say they are scrumptious and hmm. come in all different It's not just caramel or whatever. It's also like various forms of chocolate and nuts and candy and stuff. But um, so one couple I just learned of recently has their own little improv company. It's a married couple, a man and a woman. Okay. And they did a live improv show uh, at Facebook Live on Friday night. And and we were one of like nine people watching or whatever. (laughs) Uh And... But they were so, I mean, it was funny, but like the, the things where you have to like guess, you know, like make somebody do something and then they have to guess what it was. Yeah. It, like they've been married for like 20 years, so it was barely any work for them, you know? And they are already at the shorthand conversate part of the marriage. Totally. Um, have you tried playing any of these games with Chad? No. He, do, you don't think he would play along? We could try it. He should, he should be trained first, you know. Got it. So wait, is comedy sports just a just a Buffalo thing? No, it's a chain. It's a nationwide chain. Nationwide comedy chain. sports is Got yeah. Kind I of think like, it's in like a dozen cities or something. Kind of like Improv Olympic or whatever. Yeah, totally. And it's definitely on the West Coast. Like it's spread out all over. I think it started in Milwaukee, but for sure there's some in like L.A. and hmm. California. But. Um, but they broke off and formed their own and they will perform like corporate, you know, all of them do these corporate events and stuff. And they'll also do like storytelling. Corporate events. We, I will say when I worked at <laughs> the large hamburger chain that I worked at, uh-huh. uh, we did a big convention in Las Vegas and we hired the guys from whose line is it anyway? Um, at, to do a show. So was it Ryan I, Stiles and Colin Mockery? And, it was, yes. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, it was Colin Mockery and not Ryan Stiles. He wasn't there, but Brad, somebody, Brad, yeah. um, sort of brown hair, younger guy in relation to Colin Mockery, but I got my photo yeah. with them. Uh, and actually, Greg I think Proops? Was Greg Proops there? No, Proops oh. wasn't there. I, I love that guy. He's funny. Yeah. I mean, they all are. Uh, I think actually, now that I recall, I went up on stage and like they pulled people out of the audience. And because I was working the event, I was sitting in the front row because nobody ever wants to sit in the front row. So I sat down in one of those seats and they pulled me up and I don't remember what I did, but um, I remember it was embarrassing. 
Yeah, I bet. Uh, and then I got a photo with him afterwards, which was nice. And send it to me. I will. I think I have it on video somewhere, actually. I should see if I can find it. And yeah, when I got a new job after that, I had, you know, when you have a desk, you want to tell people that you work with about yourself, right? By the things on your desk. And I had that photo up. And I also had a picture from another convention where the entertainment was one Bill Cosby. And the, the one, is this where your, that photo comes that from? photo where he, uh-huh. uh, where he uh-huh. has his hands around my neck uh-huh. standing behind me. And I had these two photos because it's like, here are my pictures with famous people. And I put totally. them on my desk as sure. conversation starters. Yeah. And uh, um, some younger girl walked by my desk and was looking at the photos and she pointed at the picture of me and Bill Cosby and she said, is that your husband? (laughs) And I said, it's Bill Cosby. And she was like, who? What? (laughs) She didn't know who he was. She was at least 10 years younger than me and, uh, and she had no clue. So yeah, like, what kind of world did you grow up in that you don't have any idea who this man is? I know. Is? I would almost want to ask her, like, who have you heard of? <laughs> like, name some celebrities. So he had a good ten to fifteen years where he was just out of the public. I guess so, you know, I guess. Except for doing these, uh, um, uh, you know, big corporate shows and stuff. Yeah, and talks about how black people are their own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, she okay, so she might have been a watcher of. Uh, small wonder and full house and that like that era of celebrity well, full house for sure small wonder let's not group them in okay are there, there's one i'm okay okay i, I appreciate that show a lot and okay. i do not want to put it anywhere near full house but yeah okay. she would have been a full house watcher okay like she would know who those guys are yeah, because I remember interacting with some grad students at Virginia Tech who were the same, about 10 or 12 years younger than me, mm-hmm. and we were having some conversation related to naming celebrities and TV shows and stuff, and they like were like, oh, like blah, blah, blah from blah, 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 and I was like, I don't even recognize those words <laughs> that you're saying. Speak in different language. They lived it, yeah. I think I, there's a 10-year, you know. There, Yes, there's a huge difference in your cultural, like, reference point. But then 20 years younger, it's, like, retro, and then you can... Then you know again, because yeah. your parents have taught you or something. I was yeah. working with a young lady who was a millennial, and this was in, like, 2008, 2009. And I remember I made two references she had no idea about. Number one, I made a making copies joke to her. Uh-huh. She had no clue. Uh-huh. And that one I can sort of forgive because it's a, an arcane Rob Schneider right. you know, character from SNL. But I said, I made a, uh, I made a reference about Fonzie uh-huh. and she had no idea who Fonzie was. Uh, oh yeah. And I, I did that recently and someone goes, oh, is that from the Wonder Years? <laughs> <laughs> His jacket is in the Smithsonian. Like uh-huh. I just fe- feel like. You, you must respect the world that happened before you were born uh-huh. and understand the big points of it. And Fonzie uh-huh. is absolutely one of those things that if you don't know who it is, I don't want to know you. Like I can understand yeah. if you don't know who Potsy is, but Fonzie is unforgivable. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I think you. the copier was broken and I hit it and it started working and went, hey, and she was like, eh. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
come on. <laughs> which reminds me of one of my favorite jokes from The Simpsons, which was an Irish guy said to Homer, I'm in AA. And Homer said, who are you, stuttering Fonzie? Ah, ha, ha. That is funny. Um, Well, so, yeah, so I would imagine a large corporate uh, hamburger national chain would have access at Colin Mockery, but then it's like the regional and local ones that do comedy, that hire comedy sports, and then the even smaller ones. Mm -hmm. I do. I also worked at a small uh, sausage-based company, and we hired (laughs) the... A regional sausage player. And we hired a, the local, um, uh, like, improv theater to come to a, yes, a show. Yeah, right. Yes, the level. Depends of, on your scale, really. Exactly, totally. The level totally. of corporate um, joke, comedian you can afford. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, I would love to see the video of you and Colin Mockery. I'm sure So it's Colin fair. Mockery, because since I was doing improv and Walter got so into it, and so we started watching old Who's Lines and everything and looking up things about, because those guys, I mean, Colin Mockery's been doing it since Britain in 1988 or whenever it started. Yeah. And so I was looking up some stuff about all of those guys and Colin Mockery has a young adult kid who is trans and I can't remember if his kid is a trans daughter or a trans son, but he had this whole thing about how, so now he's like this big trans activist and he had this whole thing about how improv like helped him be a good parent to his kid while they were like coming out. And I, because he was of, flexing. Cause he was yes. Anding the situation. Mm, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's beautiful. Super sweet. I know. Oh, I love him. I know. Um, but in the recent ones, the recent episodes of Whose Line, um, Ryan Which, Stiles. Yeah, where do you watch them? On the CW is who renewed it. Oh, and it's okay. no longer Drew Carey hosting. It's a woman, Aisha Taylor, maybe I think. Aisha her name? Tyler. She would be the host okay. of The Soup. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, uh, but it's so it's still Wayne Brady. Even I think of him as a late addition, but he's been on for a long time. Right. Still Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles, because I don't know what else they do except this, you know? Well, they were on the Drew Carey show, but they do this, yeah? Yeah. And probably still corporate events. Yeah, right, totally. Mm -hmm. And so, but now Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery are probably in their 60s, at least, and they don't know any recent... So I th- so Ryan Stiles didn't know what twerking was, for example, and that led to some, he called it tweaking. <laughs> and then I don't know if he was joking, he called Lady Gaga, Lady Gay Gay. <laughs> Ryan Stiles? That must have been a joke. That must have been oh for effect. I guess so. Hilarious. Effect. I don't know. Yeah, you do have to have, like, understand the cultural references if you're going to do improv professionally. Right. right. On television. Right. They do also have like minor celebrities come on to participate sometimes. Such and as Ralph Macchio was the most <gasps> impressive one, totally. Wow. And he seemed like he had a good sense of humor. The worst one was fucking Rob Gronkowski. Do you know oh, him? Oh yes, I do. Mm-hmm. He's like a dick. You could just tell. Like the moment he like opens his mouth, you can tell what a dick he is. And so, 
all his jokes were about like how hot he is or grinding his hips or something. And oh, he made some like sexist jokes during some, but also what? they had, um, yeah, totally. They had a skater. He was really fun. Who was it? Tony Hawk. No, no. Uh, ice skate, Olympic ice skater. Rippon. Oh. Was there? Oh, Olympic? Adam Rippon. Yes. Yes. He he's so good. funny. Totally. He he's... was super good. Just so charming and funny. I love him. Yes, totally. Yes, that was good. And then a, a woman who, I think she was a famous, uh, another athlete, but like that level of. Got it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we went out to LA in November and we went to the taping of James Corden. Did I tell oh, you we did cool. that? No. We yeah. To a taping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Rob Gronkowski made a special like guest appearance. Ugh. He wound up being like, they made people move at a commercial break out of their chairs and then they put him in their chairs. And then James Corden was like, oh, there's someone in the audience that I recognize. Let's go over there. <laughs> oh, it's Gronk or whatever. And then they had to pretend like they were friends. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, I bet everyone hates him. And they're, and you know what I mean? And they just do it because it's a Well, he's show. clearly like trying to make a go of it in Hollywood with some kind of a, um, you know, a, a, a career and definitely just like getting booking gigs like this through his agent. He just signed with the WWE. We hear a lot about him because he's from Buffalo and oh. he went to high school just down the street from us. Oh. But interestingly, even though Buffalo, like every Rust Belt city is like desperate always to remind everyone of its glorious its sons and daughters. And yes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't usually like what was him. the story about Jim Kelly's brother or whatever at the grocery store? Oh yeah. <laughs> what was that? That was just the checker outer kid. It was just the kid checking me out by a kid, I don't know, 17 or something. And he was talking with, that was more of a story about me. He was talking with some middle-aged guy and whatever. And it didn't, I didn't care and it didn't bother me. And then he goes, that's Jim Kelly's brother. I, we were new in Buffalo, maybe just by a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whatever. And like on my way out, I Googled Jim. I had to Google Jim Kelly. And then I, when I saw who it was, I was like, oh, well, whatever. It's not like it's Bernie Kosar or something. Like I was unimpressed. And then I realized I was being like a Buffalonian, but the Cleveland version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalonian. Is that the word for a person who hails from Buffalo? I think it is. Re also on that topic, though, I'll say, like, just as we were all, you know, we're not exactly under lockdown, but just as everything was just, like, closing down and bars were being ordered to close and everything, like, around this time last week was yeah. when Tom Brady said he was leaving um, the Patriots. Uh-huh, yes. And the Patriots are, like, the sworn fucking enemy of Buffalo, of uh -huh. the Bills. Mm -hmm. And so the mayor of Buffalo, Byron Brown in a press conference about COVID-19 was like, so I know you all want to celebrate Tom Brady <laughs> leaving the Patriots, but don't forget the bars are closed and you're not allowed <laughs> to be to get like it was. And it went like viral. Cause was he being sarcastic or he was, no, <laughs> oh, no. this is like very important to Buffalonian people. And he knew what they would be wanting to that do. The star quarterback from their rival football team left and they were going to celebrate it. Yep. Hmm. And they you know, need to be protected from themselves. We, we take the joy we can find in life. And uh, that's the Indeed. way I feel about it. I will no sure. longer. I just feel like I can't 
um, make fun of people's obsession with football the way I quite did like a month ago because uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like you have to do the things that make you happy at this point. Like let them have, yeah. You're I heard right. somebody say yesterday, you know, this will all be over when football se- season rolls around and the NFL is like, oh, no, no, we're having a season. <laughs> oh, but if the NBA and the NHL and the NCAA and the baseball mm. people, you but you know it's NFL and they do what they want and they they will have football. Although here in Columbus they canceled the Buckeyes spring game and this town lost its mind. I bet. Oh, lost its mind. Yeah, I bet. Huh. Hmm. Well, I will say, well, I'm not that big of a sports fan, but it would be nice to be watching some NBA finals while I'm trapped in my house. Yeah. You can watch some old ones. Once you watch some replays from like the – uh, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen years from the nineties and just pretend it's happening in real life. That's such a good idea. And, yeah. or watching the 2016 final. There you go. Have you found any interesting songs to tell me about lately? <laughs> Why? Well, yes, I have. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> great. We're going to talk about being Asian in the eighties. Oh, and yes. And looking at how Asian culture was viewed in eighties music. Oh, that is not, well, okay, I'll dive in. I'm, I'm not Asian myself, but I will speak as much as I know. Neither am I. I'm about as wet as they come. Um, but, you know, who better to talk about these kinds of meaty issues than two white women? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. But I, I wanted to look at what, how Asian culture was viewed in 80s music through the lens of one particular song. Oh. And um, which one is it? It is Turning Japanese by the Vapors. Oh, um, awesome. And interestingly, um, at least three songs that I know you will know. Um, from the late 70s and early 80s relied on this riff that's called the Oriental Riff. Have you ever heard of this before? Is it? Yes, it is. Really? In more than one song? Yes. Oh. It's called the Oriental Riff, and it's also known as the East Asian Riff. It's a musical riff or phrase that's been used to, in Western culture, as like this trope or stereotype of Orientalism to represent the idea of mainland China or Japan or Korea or Taiwan, or just like a generic East Asian theme says Wikipedia. Um, It's, it is very interesting. The Oriental riff is a Western invention that dates back to um, this song or bit called the Aladdin quick step. Okay. In an Aladdin stage show, um, the Grand Chinese Spectacle of Aladdin or the Wonderful Lamp in 1847. 18, the 19th century. The 19th century, yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. The notes used in the riff are part of a pentatonic scale and are often par- harmonized with parallel open fourths, which makes the riff sound like East Asian music to a typical Western listener. So this gets into lots of musical theories, um, musical theory, but... The reason that it sounds Asian to us, to our ears here in the West, is because it's pentatonic. And that is relating to, based on, or denoting a scale of five notes. Uh Without semitones, equivalent to an ordinary major scale with the fourth (laughs) and seventh omitted. (laughs) 
right? I had no idea. I only understood about 80% of what you said, but I think it was a sufficient amount. Right. Um, now, the reason that you know that you could quote this this phrase, this musical phrase, is because um, it's been included as part of, you know, tons of musical works in Western music and in probably countless cartoons and other TV shows. Sure. Right? Um, and uh, I was reading about it on the Straight Dope, which is a, a fantastic website that kind of debunks um, urban legends and um, and things like that. And somebody with a gigantic knowledge of music explained that it's essentially just, it's just musical shorthand for Asian music because it's pentatonic. Yeah. So, uh-huh. um, That's fascinating. Isn't it? Yes, it is. So um, the Vapors used this Oriental rift in, riff in the beginning of their song called Turning Japanese, which was released in 1980. Let's have a little listen. So it really ah, kicked mm-hmm. things off in the 80s here. Right. And it was a hit in the US and the UK and in Australia. And it even had a little bit of popularity in Japan, which is kind of funny Interesting. to me. Yeah. Did they, the songs that you said in the 70s used it, I'm going to guess Kung Fu Fighting. Uh-huh, good guess. We're going to get to it. But yes, oh, that's okay. one of them. Oh, great. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm just, yeah, go ahead. And I might as well tell you the other one is Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees. Oh, gosh. Do you remember okay. that one? Uh, if, I, I, I no, bet if I, I played if I, it for you, you yes. would know it. So that's Susie and the Banshees Hong Kong Garden. The, uh, so the Vapors put this little riff in the beginning of their pop song. Um, and uh, th- of course, the song wound up being a big hit in the US. Although there is some people suspect that part of its popularity was because there was this urban legend going around that what it really meant. This, not, this is before we had song me- the internet, so we didn't have songmeetings.com or songfacts.com. And there was this urban legend that turning Japanese, quote unquote, was a euphemism for choking the chicken. Um, Yes, I thought that was just a given. I didn't think that was a rumor. I thought it was just straight up about. No, that is not a rumor, an urban legend. So, okay, can I interrupt real quick just to say Liz Fair covered this? Do you remember that? No. Yeah, and I feel like I because of my age, race, class, etc., um, I'm slightly more familiar with the Liz Fa- I mean, I remember the Vapors one quite well, of course, but also I just wanted to point out Liz Fair did it. I think Liz Fair and I are probably... Same age? Age-ish, you know. Not I mean, like as a white chick who came, you were in the college in the 90s, so it totally. was like a given you had to listen to Liz Fair. Totally, yes. In <laughs> fact, I remember, was her album called supernova maybe or something Mm -hmm. like that that sounds right yeah i remember hearing it in a coffee shop and being like like feeling as if something had been injected into my brain it was so i was so obviously targeted i don't think turning japanese is on that one but it's interesting that she reinterpreted it for the 90s 
That is, I'll have to go back and listen to that one. Did she bring anything special to it? Well, I was trying to remember if she brought that riff, that musical phrase with her. And I think she did. I'm not sure she brought other special things except for her, like ironic Gen X girl with a guitar in her bedroom vibe, you know, that disaffected delivery that she's right. so good at. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, well, the vapors didn't bring that to it at all. <laughs> no, they were just straight up earnest. So they were not singing about masturbation is what you're no, telling me. No, they weren't. Um, they, in a VH1 true a special that was called, this series was called True Spin. Um, the vapors were asked about the song and they explained it's a love song about someone who lost their girlfriend is slowing and is slowly going crazy, which I don't and know about that exactly. How is turning, how is Japanese of... Euphemism for going crazy. I don't know. And that is worth exploring. The lead singer, whose name is Dave Fenton, said, quote, turning Japanese is all about the cliches about angst and youth and turning into something you didn't expect to. So it's about teenage love, apparently. And there is a lyric, too, in this song that I think is really kind of sweet, um, where he says um he's talking about i've got your picture i've got your picture up on the wall and then he says i want a doctor to take your picture so i can look at you from inside as well which uh-huh. is weird yes <laughs> but kind of, of lecture ish it is but it's so cute he's like so infatuated with this girl that he's like i must see all the parts of you uh-huh. um, and maybe that's creepy but occasionally it's sort of cute uh-huh. depending on what on your mood uh-huh um, so he's just basically taught the whole song, the whole lyric is just about how crazy he is about her. And, hmm. um, so I don't really understand how it connects to turning Japanese, except in his mind, I guess it's so the opposite of what he is, that he's just mm. being completely changed by his affection for her. Well, that's okay. how I... Yeah, I mean, ever, I relate to that. Every single thing I've ever read about Japan makes me feel like the most un-Japanese human being ever. <laughs> like such as <is> what? <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's very like patriarchal and man-centric, mm-hmm. and that doesn't suit me. I mean, no. I live in the U.S. also, but, but also it's so neat. I am not neat, and I like... There was one article I read about how women are getting screwed in Japan. Of course, they do everywhere else, but partly because they, like the women in the workforce there has meant that they are working the same. Well, so if the men are working 100 hours a week, the women are only working about 60 hours a week, but they also have to like sculpt lunches every day. You know, they have to take care of the children and the lunches have to be Beautiful. You know, yes, adorable little rice animals mm-hmm. with like perfectly placed eyes and, you know, and like their little, and I was like, I can't, I couldn't do any of that. I don't care to sculpt any lunch You've ever. You've never made a bento box for your son? <laughs> you haven't done that? No. No. I've made a lunch with <laughs> elements. <laughs> I will confess I have made I have a couple little bento boxes. I got on that bandwagon for a while because it's just so pretty. The food is so pretty. It's like artwork. And so I have a couple little rice molds and I make little rice snacks. Oh, maybe you're Japanese than I am. Mm, 
unlikely. <laughs> I just am appreciative of the culture of the food, but now knowing that these women have to work 60 to 80 hours a week and make the yeah. little rice balls. I yeah. think the week I that made the rice brutal. balls, I was on vacation. Um, so that's why uh, I had time yeah. for it. Um, I, I will also say I had mentioned something to you before about uh, the vending machines for the underpants. Oh, yes. And I wanted Tell to, me about the vending machines for the underpants. Because I was surprised that you had never heard of that before, but they're, and I don't know if this is like uh, apocryphal or not. Is that the right way to use that word? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's a true story or not. Probably. Um, but they have vending machines, or at least a vending machine in Japan that sells used underpants um, for, for gentlemen's um, Huh. So Pleasure. where did you read about that? I, I feel like it's just a known, I've seen it, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I don't know where I first heard it. It's a it. known fact. I, I, was it in an episode of Girls? I mean, I don't know that we could trust that, but huh. Um, huh. Uh, yeah, it's just a thing. I don't so know. So where do the women, how much do the women get paid for their underpants? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like more value, uh, the older the underpants, or is it that they want like, I would guess they want newer underpants with maximum dirtiness. <laughs> sure. You know, why are you guessing just, that? <laughs> well, because the, the newer underpants would look better, like fulfilling some fantasy. Because they're of, pretty. Yeah, exactly. Listen, this was also a plot of Orange is the New Black. Remember Piper had a whole, there was one season where she held a whole cottage industry um, selling them online and her brother I was stopped watching her. after three or four seasons. I don't remember okay. that. So well, no, this is a fetish, a, a fetish. Yeah. And I guess um, I knew that. Uh, but I mean, it, I've been around the block crying <laughs> to out make loud. it easy uh -huh. in Japan um, because uh, you know, th th there are vending machines on the street. I, maybe this isn't true, but it's, a thing that I have heard. Yeah. Let's move on from the dirty okay. underpants, shall we? Okay, Sh sure. <laughs> the, um, back to the vapors. Um, <laughs> yes. I wanted to tell you, I think there's um, some interesting factoids about the guys who were in the vapors. The, they disbanded in 1981, so huh. not a very long career. Uh -huh. um, but Dave Fenton, who was the lead singer, retired from creating music, and then he went to work in the music industry as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And he spent 17 years as the attorney for the Musicians Union in London, which is kind of interesting. And the oh. lead guitarist, Ad, Ed Bazalget, or Bazalgetti, became a television producer at the BBC. And he recently directed a bunch of hit BBC shows, including Doctor Who and uh -huh. Poldark, which I'm a huge Poldark fan. I'm in Never the heard of it. Now. Never oh. heard of it? P-O-L-L-D-A-R-K? One L, but otherwise cracked. Huh. Um, it's okay. in, set in the 1700s in um, Cornwall. Hmm. So, you know, uh, it's what everybody's, it's the content everybody's looking for right now. Yeah. He also did a documentary about his great-great-grandfather, Joseph Basil Getty, the 19th century civil engineer responsible for saving so many lives after a major cholera epidemic by creating central London, London sewer system. Okay. I have heard that name because I read a book about the cholera epidemic called The Ghost Map. Um, Chris' great-great-grandfather? Yes. 
What a small world. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> um, so back to the song, the song not only featured that musical cue that signified Asia, um, but the singles album art and video also featured a geisha. Uh-huh. And in case you don't know what a geisha is, although I'm sure you do, um, their geisha are Japanese women who entertain through performing the ancient traditions of art, dance, and singing. And they're distinctively characterized by their wearing of kimono and osh- oshiroi makeup. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh-huh. But uh, if you watch the video, there is a, a beautiful geisha woman in the video and also on the front of the album and um it's just kind of weird how she's plunked down in the middle of this video and it got me thinking given how popular this song was in the 80s what would it have been like to be a young um asian uh girl or boy like in school i I just think like what an odd experience to have this song be so popular Yeah, well, that was probably only the beginning. There was quite a lot of anti-Japanese prejudice building up in the 80s, right? Because of some business perception. Yes. That they were taking over everything or something like that. Yeah, there was, we were certainly, you know, America was grappling with this relationship with Japan. We were losing automotive manufacturing jobs to Asia. Right. Remember that? Do you remember the 1986 Michael Keaton movie, Gung Ho? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my dad bought a Honda Civic in 1981. It was fuel efficient on the heels of the oil crisis. I'm familiar with that car. You are because he gave it to me and then I gave it to you. A small world. A small world. Um, he, I remember him getting some flack for buying that from his I bet. friends. He used yeah. to commute to his job downtown. It was fuel efficient. So Heck yeah, yeah. We, uh, there were some complicated relationships between mm-hmm. Japan and the U.S. at that point. Mm-hmm. I did want to bring to mind a problematic current spin for you. Do, are you aware of who Kirsten Dunst is? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She recorded this song for a video that was shown at a 2009 exhibition in London called Pop Life. Uh-huh. Um, and the video of it um, was shot in Tokyo and um, had lots of cultural appropriation in it she's wearing a blue wig and she's dressed up like a japanese schoolgirl, like a uh-huh. harajuku girl uh-huh and it's pretty anime-esque and cringy was kirsten dunst in lost in translation who was in that oh it was scar joe ah yeah, that was scarlett johansson okay okay that was like um early 2000s i believe yes maybe 2002 or four yes. or something like that mm-hmm your story about Kirsten Dunst only made me think of that movie, which I think has also taken some flack for its racism um, or maybe debates about how racist and whether it's racist and so forth. But I did not know that about Kirsten Dunst. So she got a little, that was in 2009, you said? 2009. It was directed by Mick G. Do you remember that director? He directed. I do. He'd. Charlie's Angels. Angels. Sure. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And a lot of um, uh, popular music videos at the time. Uh-huh. And I don't know where he went. Uh-huh. Um, but he was hot stuff for a little bit there. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, there's the whole conversation of whether the whole Oriental Riff is racist or not. Sure. Um, well, I mean, that Oriental Riff sounds almost like, I mean, there's plenty of, like, food versions in the way I've understood that all Chinese food that we eat now is not 
served in China, you know, was like invented in America by oftentimes by Chinese immigrants, you know, but for American taste specifically. Right. And that is a great segue to tell you about Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees. Let's hear it. Which, which, what you say, not the song, maybe the song, who knows? Doesn't have the exact Oriental riff in it, but it has sort of a version of it um, played on a a xylophone. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually, it's one of their more popular songs. It's older. It's from the late 70s. It's actually a tribute to a Chinese restaurant that Susie Sue used to go to in this neighborhood of London called Chislehurst, where skinheads would terrorize the people working there who were Chinese immigrants. And oh, um, mm-hmm. she was so horrified by the treatment by these skinheads, which is, I guess, a euphemism for like a neo-Nazi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she wrote the song to... Um, kind of commemorate them. Uh, And she does have a line in that that's about ordering the number 23. And Uh um, so if you listen to it, you can definitely tell it's about a Chinese restaurant. And it was the Chinese restaurant called Hong Kong Garden? It was called Hong Kong Garden. That's also ironic since Hong Kong was British at the time. (laughs) Isn't it? It's such a small world. Such a small world. That is the theme of this uh and and it's the theme of this podcast yes especially this episode Uh um now you pointed out correctly in the very beginning of this discussion that the oriental riff was also used in 1974's disco hit kung fu fighting Mm -hmm. do you know who sang that i don't remember no uh his name is carl douglas he's a Uh jamaican singer Uh uh-huh and the hit made it to the top of the charts and helped popularize disco music which is interesting because it's old, huh. it's 74. Yeah, I didn't know um, it was that old either. Uh, it had kind of a surprise hit, what didn't do very well, and then they started playing it in discos and uh, became a, a big hit because um, it was released just on the cusp of what they call the Chop Saki film craze, which is apparently hmm. a martial arts a kung fu film made in Hong Kong or Taiwan between the 60s and the 80s. And do you remember the star of those films? Uh, Jackie Chan. Uh, Jackie Chan was like 90s, 2000s. Oh, oh, Bruce. Yeah, that was my other guess. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Um, It's a play on Chop Suey and Karate Chop. Yeah, right. Which was coined by Variety. Right. Refer to these films. So Carl Douglas channeled it into some popular music threw that Oriental riff in there that had been around for a hundred years yeah. and uh, had a hit on his hands. And he, he's, it's a famous one hit wonder. Uh, and then that later inspired Hong Kong garden by Susie and the Banshees and um, turning Japanese by the vapors. One more little fun factoid <laughs> about Hong Kong garden is that um, the song was featured on the soundtrack to Sofia Coppola's movie, Marie Antoinette, which starred, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. And wasn't Sofia Coppola, the director of Lost in Translation also? Yes. Okay. God, so. what a small world. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes you wonder, why does she have this? Why is she so very influenced by? Sofia Coppola? Well, she's a Gen Xer also, right? I believe. Yes, absolutely. R-H-ish. Yeah. I think so. So, I mean, she would have had the, some of those similar influences of 
um, the Far East being um, exotic and fashionable and mm-hmm. maybe and- more available for racist sentiment than other you know other things maybe they've gotten knocked out of the running yeah it makes you wonder given that she has a famous director father Mm -hmm. she was she exposed to culture by traveling there early in her life Mm -hmm. um when her dad was maybe shooting like apocalypse now he Mm -hmm. he did apocalypse now right um i think so yeah which was set in vietnam but i don't know where it was filmed some um, of it in Vietnam, I think. I mean, I think that cow killing scene was a real documentary footage. Oh, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun cocktail fact. Listen, you're making the Coppola sound like modern day Marco Polos. You know what I mean? <laughs> and perhaps they are. Yeah. And wow. so they've relaxed and moved into just making wine. I guess now. Yeah, I guess so. So interesting. Now that you know about the quote oriental riff mm-hmm. will you'll be on the lookout for it or the listen out for it totally i mean i feel like i'll i don't really see many bugs bunny cartoons these days but i feel like it was probably in some of those too Absolutely. like maybe i learned about it from or heard it then yeah isn't definitely. It funny how these things just go into your consciousness without you even knowing it uh-huh yeah because oh totally that's the whole thing about cartoons is it just comes right in yeah and and that that riff is like the wallpaper of your brain for just like reference easy reference to something exactly that musical cue right so um i i am interested that the that the vapors um being a one-hit wonder maintain popularity i hear that song played tons um on 80s channels and and throwback radio stations and i just sort of think yeah. Is this problematic at all? Should we still be enjoying this music? Um, I find it to be a little bit, um, I don't, this, the short, the musical shorthand is sort of like we've reduced like billions of people's culture and, you know, um, thousands of years of cultural heritage to like four bars of a piece of music out here in the West. It's- right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, about that rumor about mass, do you think the rumor about masturbation is racist? Because I thought that was about like squinting your eyes. Like I thought it was about a racist view of people's faces. Mm, it's more about the face you make um, at and, a certain point in the process. And how is that like racistly considered adjacent to being Japanese? Uh, because I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I thought it was about, like clo- like closing your eyes tight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think I think so. I think okay. you got. I think you nailed it there. Yeah, and also if I was a, so I mean I feel like that riff would be now if it was used today it would be like super ironic. Like maybe it would be mm-hmm. like maybe some Asian American kid or like mixed race kid or something like that who's, and by kid I mean young adult. Right. Like. Um, maybe making some art with socially relevant commentary or music or something, you know, and would like probably mm-hmm. use some, although maybe we're even past, maybe that's what they would have been doing in the nineties. And now there'd even be like, it's post, post, post. Beyond that. Yeah, totally. And so maybe they'd be just using it earnestly. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I do think the idea of musical illusions is really interesting. And especially when you kind of like re 
you co-opt it back for yourself. Right. Um, like what you're talking about. Um, oh like yeah. Like Aquafina. Like I'm picturing, maybe she's not as young of an adult as I'm picturing, but I think she's pretty young. Yeah. Let's yeah. let her have it. Let's call her up. Yeah, totally. Tell she her would to remake that song. ass with it. She'd be so good. Yeah. Okay. Let's pitch that to her. Okay, great. Also, do you have any idea what the deal is with her name? Is it, is that, um, is she just a big fan of bottled water or I need to look well, that up? Well, the first part is A-W-K. And so I always think she's trying to like invoke being awkward in sure, some way, sure. um, which I have great appreciation for. But other than that, I haven't a clue. And it's not like a, I think her real name is not a secret. Like her name, you know, like in the way that Lady Gaga her name's not a secret. Her name is Stephanie something. Exactly. That's what oh, I mean. Because okay. I feel like there have been people whose names, whose real name, well, now I can't think of any except maybe Banksy or something. But mm-hmm. in any case, Aquafina is also whatever her birth name is. But then, but she's credited as, as Aquafina in movies and stuff like that. Well, like Cher or Madonna. Yeah, I guess that's right. Well, we'll have to look that up. But regardless, yeah. I think it would be great if she re-recorded one of these songs. Yeah, totally. What? I love I'm her gonna, voice. I'm going to tweet it at her. Okay, See what cool. she says. Yeah. yeah. At her. See what happens. At her. That's the <laughs> verb now? I think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> You're just We're making so, it up I'm as so we go. Cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if they're ironic or earnest anymore. I don't either. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to tell about anything. It is, right. Well, that's what I got for you today. Uh, that is the, I love uh, it. The, the context of um, the vapors turning Japanese and being Asian in the 80s, or as they called it, um, as they called it in this uh, Wikipedia article about this four bars, the Oriental riff. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to tell everyone I know. Oh, mm-hmm. except... I don't want to obviate the necessity of our podcast. So maybe I'll just tell them by sending them a link to this. Show. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They'll all learn something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for this episode of sick burns. If you want to join the conversation, you can find us on Instagram. We're at sick underscore burns underscore pod or email us at burning the eighties at gmail.com. That's burning the eighties eight zero S at gmail.com and stay tuned for more sick burns on your favorite 80s songs with us your hosts margaret and elizabeth thanks for joining